Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now. Welcome to Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba, episode three. On today's episode, we're focusing a lot um, in terms of African leadership and also in terms of just African art and creativity. So we had a conversation with, with Zach Ove, who has um, an exhibition that's currently happening in the United Kingdom. And the idea behind the exhibition is to showcase the relationship between the Caribbean and Africa and to see how it is that based on that and slavery and art, how it is that we all are one as people. You're going to be fascinated by it And I also think it's kind of cool That he directed a music video That Tupac was part of as well His dad was the first black filmmaker in the United Kingdom and he just really has been an advocate with regards to art um, in terms of making social change and social commentary. So we have a conversation with Mr. Zach Ove. Get educated and don't say that I didn't warn you. We also caught up with somebody who's possibly Mr. Africa if there was such an award, uh, title and I don't mean that in terms of a beauty pageant. I mean that in terms of intellect, in terms of understanding the continent, in terms of travel. He's been to over 26 countries in Africa and over 75 countries in the world he's climbed um he's peaked kilimanjaro a few times i won't say the number because i'll be embarrassed and apparently i might be peaking Kim- kilimanjaro next year as well just to define my africanness let's see i'll think about it i'll i'll go check what the doctor says um but on the real though um we had a chat with uh tebe ikalafeng who is mr brand africa and he really is just when it comes to understanding africa in the sense of the people not just the policies and all of that stuff i don't know anybody who understands africa in that way so we have a conversation with him and you're going to be just interested in a lot of what it is that he has to say about Africa. And I love the way that he defines the brand image of Africa to the rest of the world, which is us as a people. I love that. And we also get into a conversation around visas and the importance of visas, whether they should be, whether they shouldn't be, and traveling around the continent, which is a huge thing. And then we wrap it up with a young man who's actually possibly the youngest of everybody. He is only 31, 32, if I'm not mistaken. His voice sounds a little bit croaky, which is fine because based on his CV and and his resume and all the work that he has done he sounds like he's lived for like over 50 years mr adebola williams is um you know he's been credited for many things um you know globally and within africa he's one of the co-founders of the future awards he is you know the united nations said he's one of the 100 most influential people in the decade of african descent and he's also credited for getting uh three african presidents into leadership so we had a conversation with him it's very interesting just to see his views um with regards to leadership in africa and he also so, you know, apparently he might run for president. I'm just saying, I mean, I, in my mind, I assume so. So sit back, listen, share, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast, Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on iTunes. Also follow us um, on Twitter at Africa State Mind, or also check out the Facebook group, Africa State of Mind, um, and just let us know what your views are. Africa State of Mind. Zach, welcome to Africa State of Mind. It's so exciting to have you on the show. I've just been looking at all of your work and just all the amazing stuff that you're doing you know as an artist it's phenomenal so congratulations for all all your success thank you for the first time in its history the british museum put on permanent display the work of a caribbean sculptor in its african collection you draw heavily on the trinidadian and irish heritage that you have you know and you go into the whole carnival slavery and how that comes into the carnival and of course then fusing that into the entire art scene so let's talk a bit about your interesting mix as a person being Irish and from Trinidad at the same time? Well, I mean, I grew up here in London with a Trinidadian father, Irish mother. My father was a filmmaker also in this country. He was the first black filmmaker in Britain. Oh, wow. Um, 
So he grew up very much with an anthropological view of Europe coming from the Caribbean mm. as one of the first of his generation interested in really making a change in cinema. Yeah. Ironically, when he had arrived here, he and a group of friends, their first job in working in, uh, on a film set was playing the parts of slaves in the film Antony and Cleopatra what? With, um, with Taylor. Wow, that's amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, so that was a very interesting situation for him to grow from. Yeah. Um, he then went on to make, uh, his first film was a film called Baldwin's Nigger, which starred James Baldwin and Dick Gregory talking to a West Indian crowd in Britain in 1967, discussing the politics of the time for black people comparatively between the United States and the new experience here in Europe post the Windrush situation that had just taken place. So... I grew up in quite a social political environment. My mother had been a speaker for the Communist Party. Yeah, it was very interesting. Horace then went on to make a film called Black Safari in the very early 70s, which was a film essentially about four Africans who arrive in Britain as African explorers mm -hmm. sailing to the center of Britain, looking at Britain from the perspective or the reverse, if you like, of the colonial experience that had happened in Africa prior. So when I began my career in arts, I'd already spent a long time working as my father's apprentice in film and television, in all kinds of situations in Africa, back in the Caribbean, etc. And I think for us, the journey has always been about social exploration in a sense. So my artwork kind of grew from there. I've been working in film and television for a long time prior, and I've been essentially I've been making a lot of music videos early on in uh, the dancehall thing in Jamaica. And also in the States, I did videos like Murder, She Wrote for Shaka Demas and Flyers. No, Zach, please just stop. Like that. Because right now uh, I'm like having rough. a moment. <laughs> I can't even believe this. <laughs> I just, you know what I love about your yeah, story? No, I did stuff like that. Also videos like Patra with Yo-Yo and Tupac. Um, no. Ball, all kinds of things. Moni Love, PM Dawn, etc. And then what happened for me was I began to try to document the carnival back in Trinidad. Mm -hmm. I was really interested in the history and the philosophy of the festival itself. Carnival in Trinidad really became part of the process of independence and emancipation for the people of Trinidad. Mm -hmm. They used the process of carnival and, uh, if you like, costume uh, to parody their masters, mm -hmm. but also as a process of transfigurement to take away from how they'd been duped through slavery and social conditioning and to really show the colonial world that they could be anything and could mm -hmm. grow from there to own independence. So the independence movement also began in the carnival, carnival movement. When slavery that. was abolished. For me, yes. that was really fascinating because here was an arts movement that had managed to do so much for its people in terms of uh, a sense of self political understanding, emancipation, but yet this art movement still hadn't really been recognized mm. in the galleries globally. And for me, this was incredible. So what I was interested in was how, in a way, I, coming from London back to Trinidad, mm. could be involved in that, but also how you can bring something to it. And what struck me as very important were, in, in, in the Caribbean, we still have African mythologies that we try to keep alive, to keep a semblance of self. Mm -hmm. And what I became fascinated by was how we struggle to keep those mythologies alive in a new millennium mm -hmm. and what process one can use in order to 
help that move forward. For instance, how one uses new materials to incite new conversation. So I became quite interested in the translation from African sculpture making in wood to using materials like plastic, polyurethane, and things that kind of recontemporized our spirit. Mm. That's so interesting. I just love, I mean, your whole story, the way it's being curated. Sorry to use the word, but, you know, right from your parents into yeah. you just moving into different forms of art. And I love the fact that with your art, um, you know, it really is just a, you know, it speaks to what's going on socially. So that's really amazing. Now, let's just talk a little bit about how, you know, obviously once, because your artwork has been put in the British Museum, you know, um, and you know, this, mm. this specific artwork, speaking a little bit about, the, um, you know, the... The festival that that happens in the Car- the carnival, sorry, in the Caribbean. How do you have you ever been there to kind of see what people's reactions are, and how does it feel to have your artwork being installed at the British Museum? Oh, it's been amazing. It's mm-hmm. been a really incredible process. I mean, to begin with, I was asked to make two pieces of work that spoke about the relationship between the Caribbean and Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, there was a huge social responsibility attached to that. Mm-hmm. And what I decided upon as a journey towards how to choose what to make mm. was really, again, I made two mokajumbis, which are African spirits that we still play every year in the carnival that began their existence in Mali mm. and became very popular in West Africa before traveling with slavery to the Caribbean. Mm. Um, so for me, I wanted something that we still look at from a Caribbean context uh, as, as, as a kind of respect or a homage to our African ancestry. And what was exciting was to put those two pieces of work, not only in the British Museum, but to have them in a situation where they were now facing their ancestors. Mm. Um, if you like, a kind of full circle return to where their existence actually began. Mm. So it's been incredible. People from the Caribbean have been there en masse, I think it's wonderful now that children have something to look at that also speaks about their journey from not only Africa, but from Africa to the Caribbean to Britain through the migration of Windrush. Mm. Um, And the the British Museum also now has something in place to think about for the future in terms of how to build upon that conversation, Mm. you know, with more work and, and, and hopefully other pieces from other artists talking about similar situations and relaying similar stories, you know. You actually touched on this a little bit, but could you perhaps go into a little bit more about the similarities with Africa and the Caribbean? I'll, I'll tell you why. I was speaking to the producer of the podcast, who's very smart, um, and I was just discussing about how I was watching this documentary um, by Dr. Henry Louis Gates in the States, and it's called Black in Latin America. I'm not sure if you've seen it. And he spoke a little bit about no. the um, capoeira and how with capoeira, basically the way that that sort of dance slash fighting form came about was that the slaves, you know, obviously like a lot of the young slave boys were being attacked by their slave masters, you know, in the middle of the night or whatever the case may be. So they would be, they would, you know, they'd get together in groups to learn how to defend themselves, you know. But then when the slave masters would yeah. come and see them, they'll start beating on drums and turn around and act as though they were dancing. So that's how capoeira was born, right. you know, in it was born in a way. Yeah. So that's why to some people it looks like it's a fight and to other people it looks like it is them dancing. You know what? I mean. In the Caribbean, we have similar situations. If you think, for instance, steel pan yeah. in Trinidad, which is probably the newest acoustic instrument mm. that can play a symphonic uh, scales mm. in the last 300 years, 
mm. was developed because the drum was banned. Wow. And I, I think in Trinidad, drumming is still banned in groups of more than seven without permission from, from the state mm. because they felt that this would incite revolution. So with drumming banned, people that wanted to indulge in African retention, African rituals had to find a new form of expression. Mm. So there was this journey post-drumming that led to Tambu Bamboo, mm. which was a way of making African rhythms using lengths of bamboo, mm. where each person would play one note. Mm. And then with the advent of the steel, uh, sorry, with the oil industry, you know, we had steel drums arriving en masse for the export of oil to the Western world. And suddenly local people realized that this could replace drumming. Sure. <laughs> new musical <laughs> advent began. Literally because the drum had been banned. Yeah. Now, within the carnival, as you are probably aware, um, in Trinidad, African religions also mm. had to be disguised. Yeah. using Christian figureheads mm. uh, and, and other means of, of uh, hiding symbols mm. and a language and a history that, that people didn't want them to have. Mm. Um, so in a way, this, this whole process of transformation has been a process of keeping African identity mm. and African culture alive through what, more than 300 years of, of slavery mm. uh, away from to the place that these people left. Mm. I guess for people of the Caribbean, it's very, very important in that sense to have mm. a sense of self also. And this mm. had to be retained through oral traditions Which and um, hidden through this process. So it was very interesting how that became a big part of Carnival Masquerade, mm. the reveal of who we really are, in yeah. a sense, and but a bigger in a quest for a bigger sense of self, you know, within mm. the world. So what's fascinating to me is how this process of transformation allow the people in the Caribbean, especially Trinidad, to really grow and, and to imagine all kinds of possibilities beyond that that they were perceived to be able to achieve within the colonial confines that, that you know, that were going on there, mm-hmm. in a way. Sure, that's amazing. So it's fascinating yeah. how one finds a process of freedom through one's own imagination mm-hmm. and through a sense of self in that way. Definitely. And, and how the carnival really in, enabled, if you like, people, people to, to move out of yeah. uh, a social predicament. So that's um, incredible. The thing that's incredible is year in, year out, is that process also in turn infuses all the things that we're excited by currently in the world. Mm. And it becomes a melting pot in a way of cultures, ideas, identities, and performance, which, which leads to great moments. Yeah. I think what's fascinating also is how one uses that to speak about other things in the world through a process of masquerade and, and, and how that can really, you know, move itself now into galleries, into sculpture, into other things that talk about the process of masquerade and, and through its history in Africa and what that really is. That's amazing. Zach, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, just your work and just the history that you have and just how you're using um, art, you know, to, to send social messages and also in a lot of ways to teach us history about things that we possibly didn't know. I think it's amazing. Well, yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention to you is that at the moment also, I had just done this installation of The Invisible Men okay. at Somerset House. And that was an installation of, well, it's now actually at Yorkshire Sculpture Park, but that's 80 uh, uh, seven foot high graphite figures of uh, naked African males that are uh, on a journey <laughs> 
from Somerset House now to Yorkshire, but next year we'll be on show, mm. I'm hoping, in San Francisco at City Hall Plaza in protest. And that's a piece of work for me that really speaks about what it is to be black and born outside sure. of the continent. Yeah. And it also is something I have designed to, to really open the question up about who will we be in the future mm. uh, and the identity of African males in the world. Definitely. So I hope at some point... We'll I can have bring a this work to South Africa Definitely. and share it with you all. That, that'll be so awesome. Zach, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you for spending time on Africa State of Mind. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. Africa State of Mind. Tewe, good morning. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much, Lee, for having me. I'm so excited to have you in Africa State of Mind. I'll tell you why. Because I always tell tr- me. I try to think of these cute introductions. So this weekend, um, I was with my my niece. She's six years old. And so my brother, um, he was busy showing me a picture, I mean a video of her at school. And basically at her school they had to do for a graduation, they had to do poems. So she called the I am an African speech a poem. She literally oh. recited it from the beginning to the in my brother was showing me the video i was like what and i felt so embarrassed in my mind i because was like we can't even we, recite we can't that even. entire poem or the entire speech exactly actually because it was a speech in parliament speech. remember Ex- when we had the handing over of the new constitution exactly or the proclamation of the new constitution exactly yes. so there i'm sitting and i'm sitting in the car you know and then i start trying to do bits of it so she goes to me no let me teach it to you she literally starts saying i'm an she goes repeat after me she is six years old i was blown away you but know but you know what they know at six now is mm-hmm. what we knew at 16 wow that's well, we've quite, slowed. You know, yeah, we're not as smart as yeah. they are. They've got internet. Now yeah. uh, they they leave the country before they leave before they get a passport. Exactly. Internet technology allows them to, to go travel anywhere, anywhere. Else in the world. Yeah. And they relate to much older people. And yeah, they're just much smarter than much we are. smarter. Yeah. She really she made me feel a little bit embarrassed. You know. And then I thought about obviously with the I am an African speech, and I thought which other person could have written that speech based on knowing the people of the continent, the colors, the textures. You know. You know outside of Tabumbeke and I thought Tebe is the guy. Oh, you're too kind. I think you are just uh, no, so I really being think, very kind No, honestly speaking, so I think that that's so, so, it's so amazing to have you in Africa State of Mind because I feel that you're one of the few people who understands the intricacies of Africa from leadership to the sounds, to the textures, to the colors. You know, even now the offline conversation we're having about the relationship between Ghana and Ivory Coast, that's amazing, you know. I was just like, oh, Leslie, respect yourself. <laughs> Let me just be quiet. So let's talk a bit about um, just how many countries have you been to because I was sure for about how many African countries I've been to, but I have a feeling that you've probably been to like maybe three times more than me. No, how no, many? no, no. You've been to a lot more. I think, <laughs> uh, you know, well, I've been to over, I've been to over 70 plus countries worldwide. Mm-hmm. And in wow. the continent, I think I've done about 25, 26 countries in a continent. But I've done... 25, but 26. I've, but I've done all the major capitals of all the ma- major mm-hmm. known African cities, mm-hmm. African countries. Yeah. So I've done from Cape to Cairo... Uh, East to, uh, east to West, I've done all the major capitals. Sure. That's amazing. And I mean, this might be because I was going to ask you this question, then you're going to say, no, I love them all. So let me not even ask that question. Yes. Every single country, every single country is, has, uh, its, has its own unique uh, texture, feel, mm-hmm. its attraction, its distinction. Mm-hmm. Yes. People always ask me, which one is your favorite? I said, all of them are my all favorite. All of them, yeah. Because when, as soon as I leave my country, South Africa, I leave South Africa behind and mm-hmm. I travel into that country. And when I leave that country and I go to another, 
I don't do comparisons. Yeah. What I do, I rather do immersions. Yes, I love that. Now, obviously, you know, you've just mentioned about how you've been to a lot of international con- countries as well, meaning off the continent. What do you think is the biggest, um, or the what do you think is the the brand image globally about Africa? And what do you think needs to change, should I say, about the brand image about Africa globally? You know, we've got a, a dichotomous um, uh, uh, brand, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, the, on the one side, whenever people find out, or when they talk about Africa, they talk about the beauty, about the people, they talk about the fauna, the flora. They mm. all talk about, oh, the safari. Oh, I need to climb Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Oh, I need to go to the pyramids. I must come to the cradle of humankind in South Africa. I need to go see the basilica in Ivory Coast. I need, you know, there's, there's so much they talk. I need to go see the Masai Mara in Kenya. In Kenya so, yeah. so that's what they talk about. That's the one site they talk about because mm-hmm. the one distinctive image about Africa it is it's its tourist appeal, if you yes. will. It's its tourist appeal. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the one other side of Africa. And the one other side of Africa, that's the one that per- perhaps you'd say uh, always has mixed reactions. Mm-hmm. And that one has got to do with the politics of mm-hmm. Africa. So when they talk about Africa, they talk about the effects of politics, mm-hmm. about perhaps a failure in some of our leaders to really progress the African agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you look at for issues about poverty, issues about uh, equality, issues about employment, uh, issues about just pure, you know, the image people have of Africa, they're begging, they're borrowing, and mm. they're blaming. So that's the one side, uh, the one negative side of it. And it's so interesting that, as I said, uh, the one dominant image about our continent is people. And yeah. you've got two types of people. You've got the people from the warmth of African people. Yeah. They're welcoming, uh, they're welcoming nature, but also just the colorfulness of who we are, mm-hmm. how diverse we are, but yet how, 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 just how fluid and welcoming we are. And then on the other side of the people is the leaders, yeah. the people who brought us the independence and the people who, some of them have brought us the independence, mm-hmm. but they have not changed with the times. And as a result, that as the times have changed against them, they've not been able to adjust to the, to, uh, to, to the new world where we're living in. And so it's about people. Africa mm. is about people. That's one distinct, distinctive thing. When you go to other countries, uh, it's about, you, know, you know, it's about the things. The things. I really so like that. It's about I love the that. things. Yeah. Uh, uh, is I need to go climb. Uh, yeah. I need to go to the Eiffel Tower. I need to go to the it's Vatican. Not the people. I like I need to that. go to yeah. uh, Statue of Liberty. Oh, I need to, you know, we talk about the things. In we talk Africa about, I need to go people. shopping. Yeah. I need to go, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what we talk about the other countries. We don't talk about so much the people. Yeah. But of course, the other thing that we do acknowledge is just how staid and uh, and consistent, uh, if you will, their traditions are. Mm. Uh, what is, as a continent, we've got very diverse. I mean, we're 55 countries, mm. so 1.2 billion people, all at such different levels mm. of development. Our cultures are, while, while our cultures are well-defined mm-hmm. uh, as a group, we don't have a well-defined collective identity. With regards to a well-defined identity and just the diversity within the continent, this is like a segue into, you know, the current president of Ghana, He when he came into power, he basically said that if you're an African, you can land in Ghana and you can d- get a visa on arrival, you know? And when it comes to travel around the continent, I know one of the biggest issues outside of the insane cost of flights, you know, I don't know why, you know, it costs you the same to go to Nigeria that it does to go to the UK. For me, that still boggles me, you know? Um, but when it comes to getting a visa, you know, like as an African passport holder, unless if you're like in, you know, in East Africa where they have one passport or an ECOWAS or whatever the case may be, what do you think about the whole visa process, you know, with regards to that? Do you feel it's necessary? Because some, you know, the debate on one 
one hand is that if we don't have visas, then people will go in and out of countries as they feel, you know, and for safety issues and all the rest. That's one. On the other hand, it's like the, the, the issue of having visas that are even really expensive. Like we know, for example, what the cost of a Nigerian visa is versus like an American visa, which is kind of weird, you know. Um, on the other hand, it's like, that's the limitation as to why a lot of Africans are not traveling around the continent. What, what's your view on that debate? It's a problem that has got implications on the wealth of the continent, yeah. but not only the wealth of the con- continent, but also on the development of the, of the intra-Africa relationships, mm. the intra-Africa trade and all those. Because if I could travel as easy around those four countries, imagine how, uh, and you look at how East Africans can travel easy around East Africa from Uganda, Tanzania, uh, Rwanda, Rwanda, you know, yeah. all those and you look at the Ghanaians, uh, the West Africans can mm. travel from uh, Nigeria, Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire, no and then yeah. no issues. What we need to do is we need to do that, make it easy for yeah. Africans to travel across the continent. Certainly we need a univisa. Now let's also just talk about the importance about leadership because I know that you're really, when it comes to brand Africa, you really focus in a lot on leadership and the importance of leadership. So this is going to be perhaps a bit of a controversial question. What do you feel about the state of leadership in in Africa at the moment, you know? Because um, Africa is we're obviously home to a lot of great leaders. Like, you know, if you close your eyes and think about like some of the great leaders, we've had some of the most revolutionary, amazing leaders you know in the past but currently you know there is like um how do i say be politically correct like a love-hate relationship with regards to some of the leaders you know and also in the way that leaders are elected leaders seem to be elected more on loyalty and because they represent a group of people versus are they able to actually do the job you know so we have this thing you know because like we're africans we're like no we have to support they're from my people they're from you know so that's how the voting seems to happen and that's how certain leaders will stay in in power or whatever the case may be but what are your views on leadership in africa as a whole you know uh, sir johnson uh the first african woman to become a president uh, obviously it's come to the end of a term yeah, now. Uh, so I don't know who's going to be leader. I think it's going to be Josh Weyer, who's a great footballer. Yeah, apparently he's uh, leading gonna the be polls. The he's yeah. leading the polls at 30% or so. Yeah. Or, or the vice president yeah. uh, who's at 25 or, or mm-hmm. so. So one of them is going to lead. But Salif Johnson said something important. He says, Africa's not poor. Mm. It is just poorly led. Yeah. And, you know, that sums up the essence of the challenges that we have. The challenges that we have uh, uh, is that, you know, I think it was said, uh, Kanumo who said it, he says, absolute power corrupts. corrupts absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, what you get to see is, you know, I asked, I asked one president, one prime minister once, um, I said, you're such a successful person from the private sector. Why are you coming into politics? Just explain to me mm. the excitement, the politics. He says, and he says to me, you don't understand. There is nothing like the power of being in power. He says you can be the leader of the smallest country. Mm. The power that comes with that mm. is greater than a billionaire's power. Sure. It's greater than the most educated person's power. Mm. Here we've got a leadership challenge, as I said, as Salif Johnson I put it. We've got a challenge because as a continent, we've had, if you will, two or three phases. Mm. The first phase was the liberation phase. Mm. And that phase is characterized by really some of the magnificent minds, as you've seen, as you've, as you've mentioned. Mm. Uh, you know, from Kwame Nkrumah to Julius Nyerere to Kenneth yeah. Kaunda, even to Robert Mugabe. Mm. You know, some of those... He started um, out quite excellent. So, yeah. so, so a lot of those leaders were really transformed, mm. were, were really, uh, the, they were the epitome of, of leadership excellence. Mm. And then you've, uh, and then of, of course, Nelson Mandela and all those. So what we've demonstrated in the first phase, although South Africa, I mean, I mentioned Mandela last because he came into the last phase of the mm. liberation, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but he's, but he belongs to that first era. He belongs to the first era. Now what's interesting about that first era is that they were principled. Mm. 
They had a vision mm-hmm. and they were committed mm-hmm. and they were selfless. Mm-hmm. That's what characterizes that first, like that. Uh, that first yeah. uh, 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 phase of leadership. Then you had the second phase because now you cannot hold a baton for 27 years. You know, KK had it for 27 years. Uh, Mugabe's held it since 1980. Uh, Museveni's held it uh, for 20 And he just something. changes age. Uh, <laughs> and so the challenge is that mm-hmm. they failed to, to empower, they failed to teach, they failed to groom the next phase of leadership. Mm. The leadership that's now going to take past independence, because what was required for independence is different as to what is required to now it's to, different to, times, to, to yeah. grow the wealth mm. of Africa, to manage this wealth. Mm. So what I find quite interesting, by the way, is I don't think there's a problem with somebody being in power for 100 years. Mm. Uh, because The Queen has been in power for how long? Since 1952 or so. Mm. Um, uh, you look at uh, Merkel has just gone into a fourth term. Mm. So the theory of somebody being in power that long is not a problem. The problem becomes if their ideas are stuck in one in one era. I like that. So okay. what needs to happen is if they are transforming, if they've been able to mm. recreate, to refresh and to move with the times, then it's okay. Mm. But in the instance of uh, in the instance of uh, of, of, of of England, uh, you know what, what happens in England, for example, reminds me so much a little bit about what's happening in Namibia, if you will. That Sam Nyoma has stepped down after fifteen years mm-hmm. uh, or so and uh, and he's become the wise leader mm. and uh, and always has an interest and a and a guiding hand in terms of how where the where the country goes, mm. uh, but he's, he's had successive leaders who've come to do that. Mm. I think Mandela also, in handing over, tried to set an example of what can be. Leadership so the failure for for many African leaders comes when they lack a vision themselves. Sure. So in the absence of a vision and a lack of understanding your role, your purpose, and lack of a uh, lack of confidence as well in the country being able to pro- to to to. To prosper and to trans uh, and to move into the future without you, then creates this entitlement scenario yes. where then people says, "Oh, uh, it can only get better when I'm in power." Nobody can do a better job than him. So one one worries mm. about that. Mm. We have the resources. We to, have the people. We have the people. Mm-hmm. We have the intellect. Mm. But you know, I think you're beginning to see, for example, even in South Africa, as a perfect example, and Zimbabwe as well, how policies can affect the wealth of a nation. Yes. So you know the re- the grade uh, the ratings for South Africa and all those. All those are all a consequence of our of our political or policy decisions that we've made. Yeah, it's always amazing to talk to you and to just hear your insights. Um, just to wrap up real quick, you won't say your favorite country, but the favorite, your favorite dish to eat <laughs> from the, around the continent. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, I love my, I love tilapia when I'm in Ghana. I love the tilapia in Ghana. I love um, Matoke and Brunebo in Uganda, obviously being biased. But for you, pick something. Do you know, I must, because food is political in Africa. That's why he's like, no, in Africa, music is political, food is political. Everything is political. Everything is political. I think, you know, to start with, I'm not a foodie. Okay. So in other words, I don't obsess about food. Oh, okay. I don't obsess about food. Okay. I don't obsess about a lot of things because the problem is that if you obsess about any one thing, then you become a stereotypical and narrow-minded in your thing. And being the type of person I'm fluid, I move around the continent yeah. easy, I eat whatever it is. You know, this past week before, I was in Malawi and uh, and they gave me that fish, what is it, chamba? Uh, and they said, um, and they say, yeah, but you know, the Ghanaians and those guys, they call it tilapia, but they actually stole it from us. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, yeah, food and, is political. And, you know, I was watching how they were cooking the 
foot in, in the calabashes yeah. and I was like in, in the clay pots. I was like, this food is really good. Yeah. You know, but I'm an equal lover and Love as well that. as I'm an equal, uh, I'm an equal critic. You awesome. know? So. Thank you so much. Tebe, it's been awesome hanging out with you. Thank you so much. And we'll continue following you on Instagram and just like wishing we were living your life. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the top of Kilimanjaro next year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> see you on the top. See you on the top. Thank you so much. Tebe. Alrighty, this is Africa's State of Mind. I know that whenever we have to do introductions, it's always like a big thing. But when somebody has a resume, CV, or whatever you want to call it, depending on where in the world that you're sitting, like the the guest that we're about to speak to, you have to do all due diligence. So let me start. A true example of the sort of leaders that we need in Africa, in my opinion, and perhaps even the world, Adebola Williams is the co-founder of Red Media Africa. He took part um, in President Obama's Nelson Mandela Washington Fellow Program. He's the co-creator of the Future Awards, which celebrates the idea that as young Africans, we should take charge of our lives and our story. He's the co-owner of Why Niger. He's the co-owner of Hashtag Enough is Enough. I feel like there should be like clapping going on. Yay! <laughs> which strives to get young people involved in politics in Nigeria. He was awarded the CNBC Young Business Man of the Year. He made the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. The United Nations named him as one of the 100 most influential people of African descent in the world in the last decade. And he's credited for getting three African presidents elected into office. This is just a brief summary of all the amazing things that um, Adebola Williams has done and continues to done to do. Sorry, imagine I'm even like losing my English, trying to be like I fit in your circle. Adebola, welcome to Africa State of Mind. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I tried, oh. Didn't I try? You were too kind. I'm too kind. Adebola, I know that you you've, I should just to let our listeners know that you did lose your voice, but you, you were out in the UK speaking to very important people. But at least now you sound like an African elder, you know, because you're like pretty young for all that you've done. So now people will take you seriously. <laughs> Okay, Lee, you're spinning it all the way this morning. I learned from you, Adebola, I learned from you, you know. <laughs> Adebola, let's just talk a little bit about the first Future Awards that you and Trude put together. Um, I heard that when you guys put the first Future Awards together, you actually had no money at all, and you basically leveraged a lot of relationships, you know, to put that together. What lesson do you feel that other young Africans can learn in terms of starting with where it is that you're at? It's always about ideas. Hmm people, partnership, and then finance. Mm -hmm. What I find is that many times people have ideas, and those ideas are not even sharpened. They're already looking for money. What this formula of ideas, people, partnership does for you is that before you get the finance, your idea has been sharpened because you have to pitch and sell to other people. Mm -hmm. You have to convince other people to support you. You have to convince other people to buy into what you're selling. What that means is that you would have to go through a process of grueling question and answers with yourself first mm. and then with other people. And that process helps you to prune and sharp the idea, sharpen the idea to make it a viable idea that can then seek and get partnerships. Mm. When you get the partnership, you'll be able to achieve what you want to achieve. And then that showcase can probably lead you to the finance that you need to take to the first to the next level. Mm. You cannot stop at the idea phase. Having an idea and staying there is like opening the chapter of a book and staying in that chapter and not moving to the next chapter. I like that. Please repeat that, that again. Adebola, please say that having again. An idea, having an idea and staying there is like opening the first chapter of a book 
mm. and staying there and not moving to the next chapter. Sure. For you to get to the next chapter and the next chapter till you finish the book, you must be able to finish one to open the next. Mm. And if you do not finish one and open the next, the things you might have missed in the first one might not make certain things make sense in the second and the third and the fourth. So which is why life is a process. Mm. Sure. And so you have your idea, you go through that process in the first stage. And then the second, the second chapter where you get partnerships, what you would have done is that the, the strength and the time that took you to read the first chapter is your own commitment to making your idea work. Many times people want to float their ideas, but they themselves are not ready to invest in their own ideas. Mm. You have to ask yourself, this idea I want to sell, can I, Lerato, Sibongili, invest in this idea? Can I, Shiluba, can I, Klakla? invest in this. If somebody came to me with this idea, will I put my own money behind this yeah. idea? And when you're able to answer that question for yourself, the next thing is to act upon it. Mm. I have convinced someone to put money, they put money. Now I have convinced myself to put money that I have own this idea. Now, literally, actually, put the money in the idea. Mm. Put your time, put your lunch money, put your savings, put your the money for your shoes. Or if you don't have Gucci, all you have is Kenneco, whatever it is, if you're going to sell that shoe, whatever you're going to do, put it inside. Mm. If you're not going to wear shoes for three years, and all you're going to wear is sandals, because you think you have a worthy idea, do it. It's worth it, yeah. It's, if it's worth it, mm. then you do it. And no, do not be ashamed. Shame is useless. It's a totally useless emotion. Rather than being ashamed, you have dignity mm. and integrity. Mm. And then if you do something bad, you are remorseful. Mm. Shame is that, oh, I'm too big for this. Oh, I have to look this way. Oh, I have to sound that way. Oh, I have to belong to this. So therefore, I cannot stoop so low. Go and ask the late Ottoba Gaddafi in Nigeria, mm. who set up the first mobile toilets and took shit business to become a billionaire from mm. shit. You know, sure, yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, um, Adebola, also just with regards to the future awards, you know, what, what's really amazing about them is the fact that I, I feel, this is my opinion, you know, when it comes to Africa and everything, like lately the whole idea in terms of making a difference in Africa, if you look at social media and everything, is always about like, you know, how many followers do I have? How popular can I be? It's about popular culture, about music, about, you know, the arts and creatives, which I'm passionate about. I love the arts. I love music. I love creatives. That's like, you know, where I feel at home. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of young Africans have steered away from innovation, you know, so it would seem, or, or the importance of education and all of that stuff. So it would seem if you kind of look at what's going on in terms of mainstream media. But the future awards tell a story of future African leaders and, um, and innovate and people who are making a change and a difference. What, what is your vision for the Future Awards? It's the re-engineering society. Mm. What we set out to do was to deal with the hopelessness and helplessness that plagues the African continent. Mm. From Rwanda to, to, to Uganda, mm. from Egypt to Kenya, mm. from Ghana to South Africa, mm. young people find themselves not having hope mm. in anything. Mm. You wake up to the doom and the gloom. Mm. And young people or the citizens find themselves helpless. Mm. Helpless because the biggest institution that is contractually bound to supply them with the basic amenities that can provide a level playing field for opportunities consistently fails them on the continent of Africa, which is the government. It is a case of supply and demand. 
a group of people are contractually bound to supply, are going to de- are supposed to demand. And in an ideal situation, which don't even demand, they should just do what they're supposed to do. But because of human nature, so we then need to demand. Mm. But what has happened is that that system has also set us down so helpless that people cannot even find hope and any reason to make demands. Mm. So whatever they give you, you take. What the future was came to do 12 years ago was to change that and give young people hope. Mm. Hope not to depend on those systems of helplessness, mm. but rather find what is inside of them, ignite it, and make something out of it. Mm. And suddenly, they begin to make demands of this institution. So the future awards came to sell hope to young people and ultimately create a critical mass of young people who were empowered, who were inspired, who were innovators, inventors, leaders, entrepreneurs, who ultimately, in 20 years from when we started, will be capable of taking charge of the different sectors, including governments in Mm. their nations. Adebola, I would like to interject there, um, just with, you know, cause you spoke about leadership and obviously, um, what's been making news a lot in South Africa has been around, um, the president of South Africa and the statue that's been built, um, or erected for him, um, in Nigeria. Uh, what are your views on that, you know, as it comes to leadership? Because on one hand, you know, um, a lot of the callers that have been calling in have been saying that the, the governor in question is not the most, um, how do I say, the most respected governor, you know, just to be politically correct. And then people in South Africa, uh, you know, have been like saying, why would they, you know, erect a statue to the current president of South Africa? What are your views on that where it pertains to leadership? And have they been commu- like talks in Nigeria around um, Jacob Zuma getting um, a statue erected um, in his honor in Nigeria? Um, it's been a big deal. He's been trending for about three, three to four days now, um, <laughs> both the governor and the new president. Mm. I mean, you know, in, in the business of leadership and having alliances, Many times there might be more than meets the eye, um, but I, I do know from the from what I've read and conversations I've had in those circles that what bound the two of them together on this particular occasion is a cause to educate and liberate the youth of Africa, regardless of what people would say about the government in question. Mm. He set up a foundation many many years ago, mm. even before he was cool. He set up an education foundation to mm. educate young. There is nothing more important, you know, than the education of a young man, the liberation of the mind, the imagination that is built, mm. and gives them an opportunity to conquer the world. When I spoke earlier about government providing level playing fields for opportunities, education is one of the key parameters to do that. Mm. And so he set up many years ago. And I think in the last couple of years, he's also expanded it to across the continent. Oh, wow. Getting okay. students from Kenya, Ghana, Senegal, and all over the place. And I think it is that alliance that he and your president share in common. You know, it's so weird when you keep saying your country. I feel like I'm dealing with so many presidents, the president of South Africa and the controversy, then the country of my family, decent Uganda, the president has changed his age. Oh, see my life is just like, <laughs> so every country, every guest is like, your country, your, I'm like, can I win? I should try and start my own country, you know. But Adebola, just to... Like, like uh, Kosovo, yeah? Yeah, exactly. I feel like, you know, I'm like, can I go get a break? 
you know every president is like yo i'm like oh okay i see and then my sister's married to nigeria and i'm like yo please can you just calm down you know but it's great i guess that's that's what it means to be a pan-african so adebola just before we wrap up um so when you run for president i do believe that you're running for president in the next 10 years or so um yeah will be up uh, to god which is why i was going to say quickly to you that again i didn't make anyone president you know god is king maker god is the one who you know anoints presidents and makes people presidents we are just vessels you know we understand certain things and god blesses it, you know to use it as a tool to help you know to help uh the system. several several parts of your campaign you know, mm-hmm. organization is you know, lobbying the several parts you know but people mostly see the output of communication you know, uh, and we're happy that God is using us to, to be able to be a blessing on Amen. I agree with that. You still have yet to answer my question. Are you going to run for president? Uh, the South African line is getting... Uh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> You're a joker. <laughs> See, you have, not, you have not confirmed or denied. You're like the Secretary of State in the States. You're not confirmed or denied. <laughs> And I know that it's, you know, I mean, like, I can see my mouth are full here, so it's really from South Africa. <laughs> Don't worry. When you run for president and win, I still, I hope I still have an open door policy to come and lay my case before you, Mr. President. Uh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much. I can hear you on the hustle and bustle you, of Lagos. I hope you're not on the mainland, third mainland bridge, but enjoy your day. Thank you so much for taking time out, Adabola. I really appreciate Thank it. You. Yeah, I'm in the car. Uh, my way to work. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Africa State of Mind. Thank you so much to all the guests that have been part of the podcast and be sure to just send us a tweet at Africa State Mind um, if you have any views um, or you can, you, you know, send us a tweet. You can also tweet me. I might get in trouble for saying that but tweet me at Lee Kasumba. But then also, you know, just over the weekend I was, because um, I had lost my voice and all of this stuff, I was sitting on YouTube and I was watching a lot of different um, news um, broadcast and all of that and the the Young Turks TYT basically spoke about a report that had come out about how in Washington DC currently there is a pharmacy I hope I've got this right that basically uh, they are the ones who supply the medication for a lot of the people who are part of Senate um, and all of that sort of stuff so basically what happened is apparently a lot of the people who are part of Senate and Congress in the United States according to this pharmacy are showcasing early signs of dementia Right. Just basically aged, you know, based on their age. And then I started to think a lot about, um, um, you know, I overheard a conversation or well, not overheard, but, you know, Stephen Gretas, um, on the breakfast show, um, on 702 was talking a little bit about, um, Colleen Maine and just about Mayene, sorry, about how he does not look, you know, young enough to be the president of the African Youth League, you know. And then it got me thinking about a campaign that has been happening in Nigeria called Not Too Young to Run. And the whole idea was about lowering the age, the age range so that younger people could be part of parliament because as you know, you know, Africa is made up to 65, 70% there, thereabout is made up of young people, but the leaders tend to be a lot older. Um, you know, and then, you know, then it made me also think that when it comes to retirement, if you work for a corporate company, by the time you're 60, 65, you've got to retire because you apparently are not in, you know, you're not able to kind of run the business or to do the work that you're meant to be doing at a certain age. So the question, I said all of that to say this, 
Why is it then that, you know, when it comes to being a leader and a president, um, and not just in Africa, I think it's something that we see globally, um, that it's okay for you to be a president at the age of like 70 plus, 75 plus, 80 plus, you know, because health doesn't discriminate. It doesn't, your health, it does not discriminate in terms of age. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel that in terms of having younger leaders, Africa's ready for that? Is it a case of, of the fact that, um, with African leader, you know, in Africa, we've always seen the, the older people as the wise men and so there's this whole reverence and respect for them which is very important but you know when it comes to their age is there is it more a case of knowledge that they can pass down or are they able to implement policies that are going to affect the new face of Africa so send us a tweet you know let us know what do you think the age limit should be for an African president an African leader and what do you think the youngest age should be that you should be able to run for presidency in Africa or run to be a minister of parliament or run to, to lead like you know, to be part of cabinets or whatever the case may be in Africa. What are your thoughts on that? The whole question about ageism in Africa. I find it quite interesting when it comes to entertainment, the older you are, the worse you are. When it comes to politics, the older you are, the more important you are. What are your views? Send us a tweet, send us a message, but most of all, subscribe Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba and also let us know which guests you'd like to see. Follow us um, on Twitter at Africa State Mind. Um, also send, follow us on, or become our friends on Facebook, Africa State of Mind. And also send me a tweet because I actually respond to tweets as well at Lee Kasumba. It's been nice. Episode three next week is going to be amazing. Tell your friends. Bye.